0: Thorns, vates, warriors and healers all, we keep going. The job of a sailor's dance is not yet done, so fight on and fight hard. We will finish this, my poisoned thorns. Larkin Shattersong, general of a sailor's dance. Inspiring words for all of you dear listeners and dear citizens out there. There is no peace in the grim present day of the empire of, well, empires. Hi everyone, it's Chris again, back at you with another episode, this time covering the winds of war, uh, the particular one here around the Atherton. Where have I been, you ask? Fuck you, I don't need to tell you, but thanks for asking. I... No, I promise at the end of every other episode to not disappear for a month, but I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep apologizing and nothing is going to change. But for those of you who are interested, I was in Vegas gambling. And uh, my gosh, what a time that was. Wild place. Definitely feels like um, an LSD, I I don't know, an LSD LSD trip meets a... 40k STC or something like that a mad place never going back but you know what wild for a trip however that doesn't explain the other like three weeks it's been maybe four possibly five uh it's nah four four-ish it's been since the last episode so like I said I apologize but I'm not going to do anything about it let's jump in to the wind of war so, I haven't actually read this yet, and I will be reacting as we go through. If I stop, that is because my small peanut brain is crank crank cranking away with something hopefully insightful to say about whatever section I've just read. But, alas, it might be bullshit. We'll see. So, questions. In the West, the story plays out again. The Oten Invade the Empire pushes them back. The Jotun are gone from Semasuac, driven out by an alliance of imperial strength and Thul cunning. But further south, the situation is much less cut and dried. The Cinnabar Hills exert an irresistible lure to the warlike Jotun, Mithril and White Granite to fuel their endless conquest. But each time they gain a foothold, they are thrown back. This time, it is the Sambrian Jotun who seek to claim the hills. Will they fare any better than those who have come before? And what of Bregasland? Matilda Fisher claims the western marshes as her fiefdom and the Jotun honour her claim. But there is resistance. But will it be enough? And further south still, the fires of war once again come to the Aferthen. The weakness of the Valorn presents an opportunity to the Jotun What will it mean for the marches? now they stand once again at the very threshold of the morn? So let us first go to the Red Hills, the plains and fields of Gambit. They are already dry again. No sign remains of the storm rains that battered the Cinnabar Hills last season. After early victories, the Sambrian Jotun were driven back by Imperial forces, led by the brutal Navarre armies. Now. The Empire seeks to finish the job, to break the orcs and force them back into the western hills. The black thorns, a sailor's dance, and the quiet step lead the way. Merciless, neither asking for, nor offering, quarter. The Navarre aim to sweep the Lusambrians out of Karaman, on a tide of blood and venom. Ready with spear and bow to kill as many orcs as they can, they take no prisoners. They drive westward past newly liberated Rojolta through Gambit. Servitors of the Spider Queen or Halogen end up joining the Quiet Steppe as they prepare to slaughter the Lusambrian Jotun. A handful of heralds and a single war band of hooded and cloaked allies of the Centipede General. They end up offering boons of venom and ambush those prepared to fight alongside them the armies of the Brass Coast, the Fire of the South and the Red Wind Corsairs, supported by the garrison of Braden's Yas, fight to liberate the Western Plains, to liberate Garaman from the Lesambrian rule. Granted clear sight by Imperial magicians, the Fire of the South aim to ensure that no Lesambrian forces slip through the net cast by the Navarre, moving steadily west across the dry plains of Gambit. The Corsairs in constant range, ahead of the main Imperial force, seeking opportunities to take hostages for ransom. They have their work cut out, needing to reach the Orcs before the Navarre can cut them to shreds. Heralds of Kenne support the Fire of the South. Tattooed warriors wrapped in the skins of bears and wolves and less identifiable creatures as they come down out of the mountains of Cerebriante, down from a citadel of ice and black rock, conjured by Imperial magicians. Five Imperial armies. And yet in the end, they face precious little resistance. The sambrian orcs and their Skjaldar-born allies are gone. Having delayed only long enough to gather up their injured from the battlefields near Rosjota, The Lassambrian armies quit Karaman in good order. Retreating quickly to the west and quitting the empire for the hills of Rhinos. the Orc armies have simply gone. Of course, a few warbands lag behind, more interested in challenging Imperial heroes. A couple of supply depots are left garrisoned too slow to join the main retreat, and they at least try to hold back the irresistible tide of Imperial soldiers. A few fall to the Red Wing Corsair Raiders, the rest are swept away by Vina Var. By the winter solstice, Caraman is unequivocally Imperial once more. The scars still remain. The destructive strategy of Stephen of Sacrome, put into operation during the summer solstice, has made travel through the northern mountains all but impossible. Passage through Cerro de Manta, uh, Sierra Briante and Braden's Yass has been brought to a standstill. Caravans of white granite and mithril are forced to travel laboriously south into gambit and jade range before traveling east, increasing the potential peril from raiders and bandits. The systematic destruction of roads and bridges heavily impedes the ability of Braden's Yass and their garrison To patrol the western mountains. A great deal of work lies ahead to restore the already crumbling infrastructure of northern Karaman. Yet for now the orcs are gone, the territory liberated. Karaman is free of the Jotun Lysambrian, and the people can begin to build their lives again. Just to add here, uh, the aforementioned destructive strategy of Stephen of Saccharome, although I do believe that's Sarcome, and just a typo. Uh, this was an opportunity at the previous summit, essentially to blow apart a mountain, so it crumbled in and formed a natural barrier between Karaman and Liaferdon, if I remember correctly. Um, that might be inaccurate, but fundamentally it was destroy a bit of land. And uh, stop the Lysambrium from easily getting into the Atherton and Caraman as well. Uh, that was taken, and that's why that's been mentioned here. But let's move on to Lonely Waters. Matilda Fisher survived her visit to Anvil, and uh, an <laughs> immediate note on that uh, I, b- I do believe that the party was assaulted, or at least an attempted assault was carried out. Uh, on the party. The uh, the ones who committed that were marchers, and that should not surprise any of you. But she did survive. And for now, she rules uncontested over the marshes of Bregasland. In practice, her dominion extends only as far as the Jotun patrols that support her. And they may claim that the Jarl of the Bregas is in charge, and indeed she has established her court at Fisher's Rock. But her household could not hope to hold the swamplands without Jotun assistance. Their every move is resisted by the soldiers of the strong reeds and the guerrillas of house Greywater. The marcher forces are ready at a moment's notice to go on the offensive again but for now they lie low and focus on harrying the Jotun forces and those breakers who are thrown in their lot with Matilda Fisher. Orc attempts to root them out have proved ineffective for now. The strong reeds are too adept at avoiding their crude attempts to lure them out. If you do see a pork pie on a random fence post, it is a trap. While there may be little in the way of open fighting, a different battle is being waged. A battle for hearts and minds. With the aid of former Mornwalders loyal to Stephen of Sarcombe, there we go, no typo. The fishers work to convince the people of Bregusland that they are in a better position now, for they have been freed from the tyranny of the empire. And while it is slow going, there are those who will listen. Even the priests of the marcher assembly urging them to ignore the fishers, there are those who would rather take the path of least resistance amongst them. It's not enough to not say yes, you have to say no, as one old parable has it. And there seem to have been a number of households prepared to embrace the quiet life rather than fight. The Bregas have always been an odd people. For now, though, the marshes of land appear to have settled into a quiet status quo. The fishers try to sway the Bregas to their way of thinking. The Grey Waters and the strong reeds resist them. The Yoten watch the borders preparing as best they can for the imperial counter-attack, that they must know its coming. From the lonely waters we move to the deep woods. There's little imperial presence in Leafathan, a few scattered stridings and steadings, and some garrisons protecting West Ranging and Westward, and perhaps keeping an eye on the squirming Verlornheart. But otherwise there is none. With the fall of Bregasland, those garrisons have become particularly isolated. Although the recent uneasy d'entente with the Feni of Ath Ring and Oven's Glen has allowed contact to be re-established in recent months. A heavy winter curse, Wither the Seed, still hangs over Liathrind, further discouraging Imperial citizens from making their homes there. The uneasy d'entente with the Fenny was again, something from our previous summit. Um, the idea here was to catch the remnants of the heirs of Terranail. The the up and down of it is that one of our generals, uh, Clay, one of our senators, uh, Travid, actually made, uh, sort of offered an olive branch to the Fenny to effectively trap and hand over the heirs of Terranail. Um, it was a roaring success, even though if, even if particularly Sorry, even if politically particularly unpopular. uh, But fundamentally, it did allow us to identify all of the heirs of Terranel and capture most of them, apart from just running into an encampment full of Feni, getting our troops killed, getting Feni killed, and allowing the heirs to escape. So, uh, for the record, this was a fantastic move for the Navarre. But, shortly after the end of the Autumn Equinox, even that precarious contact suddenly goes. Wyatt. A messenger expected to arrive at Green March fails to arrive. The Jade Hill River Striding, whose long and winding route takes them through northern the Atherton during the autumn months, fail to arrive at the Brock Heath Market for the first time in well, since anyone can remember. For those in the know, it feels like a rock has been thrown into the still pond, and the first ripples are beginning to spread. Then, the survivors appear, stumbling into the Fenny Hills' northeastern regions. A great host of Jotun has swept through the western woods of Liafathan, overwhelming the limited resistance and conquering West Ranging and West Wood. The Navahu managed to make it to the mornwald report that there are two forces. The Lissambrian Jotun, recently in Karaman, have come down from the Lissambrian hills into western Scout. Whilst the marching force of Jotun have smashed through West Ranging from the Grey Fens. Both regions are quickly subdued. Both the Navarre and the Scattered forlorn spawn raised by the heirs of Terranale during the recent Troubles are not enough to stop them. The Jotun are not done, however. Once West Ranging is secure, the Jotun forces combine and push eastward. The Feni do their best to resist but are unable to stand against the grim-faced orcs. The Jotun capture the Ath-Ring, and less than a month later, overwhelm Hottesmire. Left with nowhere to flee, the Feni retreat into seclusion, hiding in the regio of northern Liathodon, and taking refuge with their patron Eternals. The last reports, brought to the Empire by a handful of merchants trading with Hottesmire, indicate that the Jotun are already preparing to fortify Potter's Mire itself, planning white granite walls to transform it from a makeshift settlement into a citadel. They also speak of summer warriors amongst the Jotun, a host of knights and squires from the Fields of Glory. They describe the Jotun as an unresistible wave. There has been comparatively little loss of life, at least amongst the Imperials. Despite the Navarre presence in western Lyapherdon, the territory is very far from being Imperial. There's no information about how many casualties there may have been amongst the Feni. Given their numbers and their propensity for hit and run rather than pitched battles, it seems unlikely they will have made much of an impact upon the Yosan army. Wherever possible, though, the Jotun have slaughtered any Navarre they can find, and seem to struggle to differentiate between the Feni and Navarre. Few, if any, people are receiving the choice in the then The choice being the choice from the Jotun. The choice to be a thrall, not quite a slave, but living under their yoke and their rules, or death. It seems most people are just receiving death. The Aphrodon has fallen silent. The farmers and miners of the Morn world, human and orc alike, look to the western forests with trepidation. Last time the Jotun forged a path through the Aphrodon, it was a prelude to the invasion of the Mourn. So, being a uh, Navari player, this is especially concerning for a, a, at least a couple of reasons. Firstly, the Valorn itself, they are, uh, when I say they, the Jotun, um, are not, let's say, fully clued up on how to handle the Valorn, keep it calm, sedated. Uh, they might use fire on it, they might trample it, they might, they might wake it up, for lack of a better phrase. And we now no longer have oversight of said Valorn. So right now, under our noses, there could be a major resurgence in its strength, and it's all because of those damned orcs. I do personally remember a skirmish I went on as a, I believe this was a ban actually rather than Lindear currently, um, where we turned up, it was a night skirmish, we turned up, the skirmish commander went and had a stern talking to the Jotun who were making a force out of wood. We told them that fire doesn't work on forlorn, they said piss off and then our commander decided to obey and then we pissed off not the most satisfying or productive of skirmishes but i'm glad we got to give all those Jotun a stern talking to but in reality though very concerning that the Jotun now only after them the Valorn might make a resurgence secondly this is i mean perhaps a, a moot point but this is the ancestral homeland of a lot of Navari citizens in Anvil. Now we haven't really held it for a long time, but now we are totally out. And not only that, we've lost all contact with their territory as well. We don't have oversight, and also the Feni as well, our fledgling alliance with them, shattered by the fact that they're fucking dead. Finally, we're going to have to retake the and if they're building a Citadel in there, that is going to be a lot harder. And by a lot harder, that means that citizens like you and I will have to die doing it. If only we'd had some concerted push into the Atherton when we had the opportunity, perhaps to reclaim our homes and to push the Jotun out once and for all, we wouldn't be in this mess. But, hey ho, what do I know is a humble grunt? But there you have it, dear citizen. There is no peace in the empire as we wage war in the red hills the lonely waters and the deep woods if you go down to the woods today bring a friend because you definitely won't find any along the way